We will remain standing for the reading of God's word that will be taken from the 12th chapter of John's gospel, verse 1 through to verse 8. Here is the word of God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having, changed, and having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Friends, I do not know about you, but uh, Christmas and New Year brings a lot of anxiety to a lot of people, and especially the rich people. Now, I'm not going to pick on the rich people this morning, but uh, there's a study done on the rich people who uh, apparently become so depressed during this festive season. And the question is, why most of them lead lives of quiet desperation, especially during this time? There's a psychiatrist called Madeline Levine who wrote in her book, The Price of Privilege, that many of the world's rich live in poverty of their riches. And this uh, psychologist focused on preteens and teens as the most at-risk group. And this is what she wrote. America's most at-risk group is preteens and teens from affluent, well-educated families. In spite of their economic and social advantages, children of affluence experience among the highest rates of depression, substance abuse, anxiety disorders, somatic complaints, and unhappiness of any group of children. 22% of adolescent girls from financially comfortable families suffer from clinical depressions. This is three times the national rate of depression for adolescent girls. Now, this is so different from Mary, whose story we're going to look at. Mary, in this Gospel of John, who in her devotion to Jesus anointed him with an expensive perfume. She may inherit that perfume for, from, for, from her family. Maybe it's her lifetime saving. Maybe she came from a rather wealthy family. We cannot be sure. But one thing is sure, she has that expensive perfume. But guess what? She didn't succumb to that trap that so many rich people fall into. What makes the difference? The difference, I think, lies in the fact that 
she learns how to uh, make sacrifices. She learned the value of sacrifice for something worthy. And that is something that these preteens and teens of affluent families never have done in their life. That is uh, what I would like to take us this morning on an end-of-year reflection. It's a devotional journey, if you like, by considering five lessons, five lessons from these eight verses, what it means to live a life of devotion to Christ. Now, I know I usually preach a three-point sermon, but today, because it's the last day of the year, it's going to be five points, but shorter points, hopefully. It's quite a lot that we can learn from these eight verses, but this morning, let us reflect on the five points um, that we can learn. Let's, uh, let's imagine first a dinner party, right? A dinner party attended by at least 17 people. The 12 disciples, Jesus, Lazarus, Simon the host, together with two women, Mary and her sister, Martha. Probably a party that is similar to what some of you may have planned for tonight for New Year's Eve celebration, except this dinner party was quickly turned into a worship service. It's located in Bethany, in the home of Simon, whom Jesus had healed of leprosy six days before Passover, possibly Saturday night before Palm Sunday, just a week before Jesus went to the cross. Now, judging from verse 1 and 2, it's likely that the dinner was held to celebrate Lazarus being alive. And more importantly, to celebrate Jesus, the guest of honor, who had raised Lazarus from the death in the 11th chapter of John, which we saw last Sunday. Now, if if you look at this story, you have to consider two other uh, places in the Gospel of Mark and Matthew, where the same story was also recounted. So if you look at this table in the next slide, you will see that actually there are two anointings, right? Let's not get confused. There are two anointings of Jesus in the four Gospels. The first one is uh, um, recounted in Luke 7, the second one in John 12, but also in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Now, here, here, here's a set of differences between the two because we look at the one on the right-hand side, not the one on the left-hand side. I preached, I think, last year on the uh, one on the left-hand side, right? So you can uh, go on to our website and find the uh, sermon recording if you want. But we focus on the right-hand side um, event this morning. In Luke, there was a woman of immoral character anointed Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee in Galilee, who was then criticized by Simon the host. But in John 12, which we look at this morning, and in Matthew and Mark as well, it was Mary, a godly woman who invited and anointed Jesus in the house of Simon the leper. Simon who now has been healed by Jesus of his leprosy. So I just want you to get this uh, thing clear and not get mixed up. So what are the five lessons? Let's go uh, with number one. The first one, next slide. No devotion to Christ is too big, costly, or extreme. 
See, when, when a guest entered the home, first century Palestine, a common courtesy in that area, in that time, perhaps until now, involves the feet of the guests being washed with water and their head anointed with a dash of oil or perfume. Now we know if we combine all these three accounts, John, Mark, and Matthew, we know that Mary anointed both Jesus' head but also his feet. Now, the Apostle John, however, emphasized the fact that Mary anointed the feet of Jesus, not the head, but the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to emphasize that to attend to the feet was a task that was so lowly. It was done only by the lowest ranking slave in a family. But in this case, it was Mary who did that. And Mary's gift was extreme. Think about the sheer financial extravagance of her devotion. We read before that it was Judas, the treasurer of the group, who gave a valuation of that expensive perfume. And it says this perfume was worth 300 denarii which was worth a year's wages for a typical working man that day. So we have to trust Judas because he is so uh, keen, so savvy when it comes to money, when it comes to the value of this perfume. Now, the, the way to interpret this 300 denarii is not to think about the uh, 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 approximate modern value of that amount, but to approximate the equivalent annual wage of a fully employed labor. Now in Australia, I have checked these stats last night, the hourly rate currently is $33, and it would be around 65000 a year on average salary of a, a full <clears throat> employed laborer. So this perfume it's worth $65,000, right? And if you notice uh, before, it is made of pure nard. Now, what is nard? Nard is an, an oil extracted from the root and spike of a nard plant grown only in the Himalaya mountains of India. Very rare. And it was exported, or imported rather, to Israel at the time. Now, you know when you buy perfumes in, in, in the department store, there are different kinds. There are different uh, level of quality. There, there is perfume with the highest concentration of up to 40%. There, there is EDP, Eau de Parfum. I think it's the right uh, uh, pronunciation. And Eau de Toilette, right? Uh, which is the lowest, with 5 to 15% uh, oil. Now, this particular ointment that Mary used, that is pure nard. It's not just 40%. It, uh, it's 100%. And how much did she use? She used all of it. Because it says that, um, if you read the commentary of this uh, particular passage, she used a pound. In, in the original Greek, it's a litra, approximately 329 grams, almost as heavy as a can of Coke, a can of soda. 
I don't know when the last time you hold a can of Coke, but that's how much of the oil of the perfume that was um, poured out to the feet and head of Jesus. And because they used alabaster flask at the time, the only way to extract the perfume is by snapping the long, thin neck. And the breaking of the jaw's neck meant the jaw was full, and breaking of the neck is the only way to pour it, pour all of it, actually, out of the bottle. So the entire 330-gram bottle of rare, extremely expensive perfume that cost $65,000 was used to anoint Jesus' feet and head. Friends, that is some devotion, isn't it? So let me ask you this morning, as we conclude the year 2023, if you were to describe the depth and intensity of your devotion to Jesus this year, what sort of words would you use? Would you employ words like passionate, excessive, extravagant, or would your devotion to the Son of God be more accurately described as measured, calculated, restrained, guarded? Mary's devotion to Christ was extreme, was excessive, was extravagant. What about ours? That's the first point. The second point, I told you this is a short uh, series of points. The second point, next slide, devotion to Christ requires surrendering yourself fully to Him. See, friends, Mary did not give all that she had. She also gave herself fully to Christ. What she did, washing and anointing Jesus' feet in the dusty nasty climate was such a lowly and disgusting task, even to demeaning often to a slave, uh, for a slave. But she did not just do a disgusting task, she also did a disgraceful thing. You know why? Because she untied her hair, letting her hair down in public, something that Jewish women would never do in public because it was against the social norm of the day. Now, this is not about a religious uh, rule, but this is more of a cultural thing at the time and until now. Mary could have used a towel to take uh, um, the oil off uh, Jesus' feet, but instead she used her hair to clean Jesus' feet. And that's very disgraceful. But she didn't care about her pride. And as you know, friends, we all have a sense of pride in our hearts. That's a deep impulse within every human heart. We all have that sense of entitlement. We always say to God, to the world, 
to life in general, but especially we say that to God often, maybe this year, that God, you owed me, you owed me a better life than what I've got. I deserve a great life. Look at what I have done to you. Look at what I've done to my family. I deserve a better life because I'm so special. That is a deep operating mode that we usually have year in and year out. God owes me a good life, and I want that happy life. And if you happen to be successful, if you happen to have a happy life, what does that make you? You will be a shallow, superior, arrogant, entitled person. But on the other hand, if you say God owes me a better life, and then you experience failure, disappointing life, that will make you a bitter, cynical, angry, self-righteous person. But look at Mary here. Look at Mary. She's doing here something that is so disgraceful, but she said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what people think of what I'm about to do because I know Jesus. I know what he's about to do. He deserves all my honor. There's no act of devotion which is beneath my dignity because of what Jesus uh, will do for me and who he is. I don't care what anyone thinks. Basically, Mary said, Lord, I know who you are. And I know I must honor you with everything I have, with everything that I am. Friends, I do not know when you come to uh, worship services every Sunday for 53 times perhaps this year, because we have 53 Sundays this year. What, what comes to your mind when you sing and, and worship God in this very room? Are you worried about what people think of you? Do all your religious activities a reflection of what people might think if I give this or if I don't give that, if I do this much or don't do that much? Or are you like Mary? Because you know who Jesus is and what he has done for you he said to Christ, I don't care, Lord, what people think of me anymore because you are more valuable than all their opinions. That's what Mary did when she um, let her hair down, didn't care about what people think. And that leads me to the third point. To the third point, uh, your total devotion to Christ almost always leads to criticism. That is what usually happens when somebody gives his or her best to the Lord. Misunderstood, bad mouth, gossip about, alienated, and so on. And it was Judas. It was Judas who said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and the money can be given to the poor. You know, J 
Judas basically broke that awkward silence. Can you, can you imagine, right, in a, in, a, in a dinner party, at a dinner party, somebody suddenly came with this expensive perfume, anointed Jesus' head, and everyone was just stunned to see what they saw in front of their eyes. And then add to that what Mary did next. She uh, untied her hair and then wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, not a towel. There was a deafening silence. You almost could hear a pin drop. And then Judas broke that silence by saying, hang on, something is not right here. Let's be reasonable. Everything has to be in proportion. I mean, devotion to Christ, that's all right. But look at what she has done. She's just being too fanatical about all this, isn't this a little bit too much? That's basically what he said. But Jesus had a different opinion. Jesus said, in light of his sacrifice that would occur in the matter of days, there is no such thing as over-extravagance. And what said is that it was Judas who started the criticism, but if you read the record of Matthew and Mark, the other disciples also criticized Mary. That included Peter, Matthew, Andrew, and perhaps John himself who wrote this gospel. The attitude of Judas was contagious. See, friends, never forget and do not be surprised if one day, or even you have had that experience. If one day you do something excessive for Jesus and you are being criticized by other people, maybe your friends will misjudge you. Even your Christian friends. Maybe your family will take offense at what you're about to do for Jesus. They will say, that's a wasteful thing. When that happens, remember, Jesus will say, that's actually not a wasteful thing. It's a beautiful thing that you do for me because true love never calculates. Genuine worship is never measured. Authentic affection never asks, how little should I give and still meet the accepted standards of decency? That's not the question that we should ask when it comes to devotion to Christ. Now, Apostle John gave a commentary of what he himself wrote because we are told here when Judas uh, uh, pitted uh, this unqualified devotion against giving to the poor, it's not because he was so spiritual, but because uh, he was a thief. So that was all self-righteous piety. It's a lip service because it flows from a heart that knows nothing knows nothing of worship and adoration to Jesus. He was occupied by personal greed that masqueraded as altruism. Judas was a thief, and he has been known to basically uh, steal money from uh, the money bag. So here is what Jesus had in mind. If this perfume can be sold for 300 denarii and then the money is kept in the money bag, maybe I can help myself into that um, 
you know, a few times. That's what he has in mind. And that's why no parents today call their sons Judas. We call our daughters Mary, but never our sons Judas because the name is synonymous with treachery. So friends, do what Mary did, not what Judas did. But remember, if you do that, you'll be criticized. You will be misjudged by people. Number four, lesson number four. You can't have devotion to Christ if you do not sit at the feet of Jesus. You can't have devotion to Christ if you do not sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, if there's no clear evidence that Mary or anyone, anyone else in Jesus' apostolic band understood before the cross that Jesus had to die. No one actually got that. But what Mary did was an act of costly, humble devotion. And when she did that, she actually signaled something more than she knew. How did, how did she know that her Lord was about to endure suffering and death? Maybe because she's always found at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus. See, the three occasions when we are told uh, about Mary in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, the life of Mary that was painted to us by the Gospel writers in three memorable pictures, each one of them is always at the feet of Jesus. Luke 10, 39. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his word. John eleven thirty two. 32, when Lazarus died, Mary fell at Jesus' feet and surrendered her life. And now in John 12, 3, Mary anointed Jesus' feet and honored Jesus. She knew what Jesus was going to do for her because she is always at Jesus' feet. What we learn here is that Mary was showing her devotion to Jesus before it was too late. It's almost like she gave the roses while Jesus was still alive, not bringing them to the funeral. See, friends, you have to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the words that came out of his mouth, or you will never do anything remotely significant for the Lord. It was actually Mary who understand what Jesus once said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, if the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, if we are created to worship him, then we are created to spend worshiping him at his feet in word and prayer. Have you done that this year? Have you done that enough? This year, have you lived by every word that comes from the word of the mouth as breathed out by God in the scriptures? Or have you lived by every word on Instagram, Spotify, and Netflix? I'm not saying that those things are bad because I do enjoy each one of them myself. But let me ask you this. Which one has the biggest influence in your life this year? Who or what shapes your priorities and decisions this year? Is it the Word of God? Or all these words that the world gives you? 
See, Judas filled the room with the stench of betrayal, but Mary filled it with the sweet aroma of adoration and affection. And here is what's amazing. Jesus said that the blessing of her deed will spread around the world. In Matthew 26, 13, he said this, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Mary did not know that. Little did she know that the night where she anointed Jesus' feet, that sincere, that radical devotion to Christ would be a blessing to believers around the world for centuries to come. Lesson number five and the last one. Until the cross is behind your devotion to Christ, you will always be half-hearted. This is the key. If you want to have a life devoted to Christ, a radical, excessive devotion to Him, you have to understand the why behind your devotion. The why is more important than what you do to Christ. And that why is the cross. See, what does Jesus mean in verse 7 when He said, Leave her alone. Leave Mary alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. What does it, what does it mean to keep it? Certainly, it, he, Jesus is not talking about the nard, the perfume. Jesus is not uh, talking about that expensive ointment because it has already been poured out. It's gone. He's talking about what the nard symbolizes, and namely Mary's abundant love for Jesus, his, her extreme devotion to Jesus, her amazement at the thought of Jesus giving his life for Mary on the cross. Leave Mary alone. Don't judge her. Don't embarrass her so that she will keep her devotion and her joy until my death and burial. See, Mary may not understand exactly, but somehow her faith and her love for Jesus had deeply influence her heart. She said, Lord, I don't understand how. I don't understand why exactly, but I realize that you're doing something for me. And that overwhelms me. For Mary, the worth of Jesus is immeasurable. No price is too high to expand on Jesus. For Judas, any price will do to profit from selling Jesus. 30 pieces of silver will do just fine. For Mary, money was no object as an expression of her love for Jesus. For Judas, money was precisely the object he hoped to gain in exchange for Jesus. Friends, why do you think Jesus returned to Bethany, approximately only three kilometers from the enemy headquarters, when he knew that Jewish leaders were out to arrest and kill him? Why did he go to that small village, to that home of Simon the leper? so that he might spend some quiet time with his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But why? To show us, to show you and me how we ought to respond to someone worthy like himself, the Lamb of God. If you remember when you read these verses, in first one, we were told that six days before the Passover, this is the last Passover. Having been through the Gospel of John so far, we have found 
three Passovers recorded in this gospel, John chapter 2, John chapter 6, and now John chapter 12. This is the last Passover recognized by God under the Old Testament economy. It was the last. You know why it was the last? Because Passover has been a shadow, merely a shadow that points to the substance for over a thousand years, and it's now about to be finally and fully fulfilled in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who wipes away the sin of the world. See, friends, to Judas, Jesus was nothing but livestock to be sold at auction at 30 pieces of silver. But to Mary, Jesus was truly livestock of a sort, the precious Lamb of God prepared for slaughter. Now, here is how this whole incident speaks about the gospel. In the next slide, Mary spilled a costly perfume for Jesus. Jesus spilled his priceless blood for her. Why did Mary do what she did? Because she knew what Jesus would do for her. If Mary knew that him, when I surveyed the wondrous cross, I think she would have sung it, or at least said those hymns to Jesus. In the next slide, in the first verse of that hymn, it says, when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Now, modern people don't use words like poor contempt, and we don't understand what that means. Contempt is the feeling that something is worthless. Pride says, I do not need God. I can do this on my own. Therefore, to pour contempt on our pride means to consider our own achievements as worthless, and therefore I will rely not on ourselves, not on myself, but rather on what Christ has achieved for me through the cross. And then you see in the last verse of this hymn, in the next slide, this is such a beautiful set of words. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, far too small. Because love so amazing, so defined, demands my soul, my life, my all. See, even if you have the whole realm of nature in your hands and you give it to Jesus, it is far too small because His love is so amazing, so defined, it demands everything that you have, everything that you are. I like what John Stott wrote in the next slide that kind of commented on this uh, same truth. He wrote, until you see the cross as that which is done by you, you will never appreciate that it is done for you. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because of our sins. And only when we realize that, we will appreciate what he has done for us, and we respond accordingly. If you don't believe that, people will say, you will say, what a waste what Mary 
has done. She's out of control, no sense of proportion, so undignified. We have an image to protect. We have a reputation to uphold. We see a wasteful act, a disgraceful act. But all Mary sees is Jesus and his impending death on the cross. And maybe some of you will say, well, Mary, it's amazing what you have done. You sacrificed a lot to follow Jesus. But if you do understand the death of Jesus, you would feel so inadequate, so unworthy. No matter how much you give, no matter your, how extreme what you do for Jesus, it pales in comparison to what he did for you on the cross. Because his worth is infinitely higher than what you can possibly give for him. Nothing that you give feels like a sacrifice. That's why Mary gladly endured the rebuke of the disciples, joyfully humbled himself in public and happily gave away one year's wage because she knew what Jesus would do for her. See, friends, once you understand the death of Christ, the cross of Jesus, clearly, as Mary did, you will never ask, how much money will it cost me to be a good follower, follower of Christ? Once you have tasted the sweetness of the Savior, as Mary did, you will never ask, what will people think of me if I spend too much time and energy and efforts doing God's work, doing gospel mission? You will never ask that question. Once you have experienced and known and enjoyed Jesus as Mary did, you will never ask, what if I lose the respect of others? What if I lose my physical comforts? I don't know about you, but do you long to be like Mary? Do you long to love Jesus like Mary? Is your devotion commensurate with the worth of Jesus? Is your desire to experience Jesus this year or next year even, the way she did, to know him and to enjoy him. Something that you pray for, Lord, help me. If you answer yes, I invite you to bow down and pray with me. Let's pray. Father